0: Our scripture passage tonight is 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 7. Just for um, the sake of you, I'm going to be referring back to 1 Samuel 23, 1 through 13, but I won't read that, but I'll read this, this second part, 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 7, and then we'll see how these work, work together. Verse 1. <clears throat> Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And Saul took three thousand chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him, because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, and he left the cave, and he went on his way. The word of the Lord. Now, if you remember, we looked at 1 Samuel 22, and the Lord brought to David how many men when he's in the cave. He starts with five and he ends with 400. Then in 1 Samuel 23, he begins with 400 and maybe five, and he ends with 600. He's got 200 more. And in the midst of those 600 men, David is surrounded also with these faithful men and two men. One was Gad from God, the prophet, and one was Abiathar, the priest. And it's very important for David to be surrounded by these two men because he needed the Word of the Lord. Now, you and I, unlike David, we have this precious Word of the Lord in the Old and the New Testaments. But David, in order to inquire and know the Word of the Lord, he needed a prophet and he needed the priest. Today, we have this. David, in those days, had the prophet and the priest. But just like David, we and he, we all need the Word of the Lord, in order to live according to it. Living by the Word is the title of the sermon. Live by the Word. And I'm going to give you three points. Live by the Word by seeking it in prayer. Live by the Word of the Lord by submitting to it as you lead others. And live by the Word of the Lord by being saved by it. The Word of the Lord saves us. In many different ways. We're going to look at that tonight. Live by the Word of the Lord. So, number one, live by the Word of the Lord, by seeking the Word of the Lord in prayer. By seeking it in prayer. Now, in first chapter, in, in chapter 22, God speaks to David and tells him from Gad, He tells him to leave the cave. Now, we don't know why He tells him to leave the cave. Right off the bat, He tells him to go into the land of Judah. It's not clear. But it becomes clear because Kiala begins to be attacked by the Philistines, and David begins to pray because the Philistines are attacking Kiala, looting their harvest, taking things from their homes, taking their animals, and so forth. And so David seeks the word of the Lord in prayer. In verse 2, in chapter 22, he inquires of the Lord, and the Lord tells him, go and attack the Philistines and deliver Kiala. Now, it's very important for us to think about David. David is a very talented man. Skilled with the harp. He's a, he's a bin. He's skilled with the harp. He's skilled with a sling and smooth stones. He's skilled with a sword. He's skilled with his mouth. He can speak. The, just read the Psalms and you'll find out how, what a wordsmith that David is. He's skilled in leading men. He has all these skills. And what do we find him doing? We find him on his knees in prayer. We don't find him saying, I have a special set of skills and I will find you. We don't hear that. We don't hear that. He has the skills. He is wise. He is smart. He is a genius. He is brilliant. But what do we find him doing? We don't find him going, Hey, I have the skills. I'll go do this without prayer. No, he gets on his knees and he prays. It's just so different. Than, than other men who are not men who are following after the Lord. And the Lord promises you, He promises me, that, and He will bless us if we seek His Word in prayer. When you're seeking the Word of the Lord in prayer, you and I, we have to two O's. Open the Word and read the Word while we open our mouths. Open the Word and open our mouths. Open the words and search the words and pray the words back to God and ask God to lead us. The psalmist says in 119, he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And following the Lord's Prayer, you know, we just pray the Lord's Prayer. Following the Lord's Prayer, do you remember what it says in Matthew 7? Jesus says, Ask, Seek, and Knock. Ask is, is prayer. Seeking, searching. Searching what? Searching the Word. So I'm asking according to the Word. I'm asking and I'm reading and studying the Word. I want to be led by the light of God's Word. Let me me ask many questions here. What happens when you leave off seeking the Word of the Lord in prayer? Why is it that I'm talking to a young lady who's mid-30s this past Tuesday... Why am I talking to a lady who's that old, whose husband just left her, just left a brand new baby to live his best life now? He has written down that he will live his most authentic life. Her authentic life will be to raise a child without a father and his authentic life will be to pursue his own pleasures. Why am I talking to this man? This man's a military man. This man was over 120 men. This man was a responsible man. This man had convinced me as he would pray and read his Bible and sent me his Bible studies. What happened to this man? Well, let me guarantee you two things. I promise you he's not opening this book up and I promise you he's, he's not opening up his mouth in prayer. Those things are gone. He's entered into the fog the fog of money, desiring money and pleasure, he's cast away his vows and oaths to the wind. What happens when we seek the word apart from prayer? This happens many times to ministers. It can happen to any of us. Sometimes it can happen to us like this. We have, uh, we have our markers in our Bible, and we get very used to moving the marker down the Bible and saying, I've done my Bible reading. But we didn't pray. We read without prayer. We read without calling on the name of the Lord as we heard this morning. And so this is why many times we find people dry and we find people sliding into sin. Think about a minister. It's his job to read the Bible, open the Bible, search the Bible, and pray as he does so and get ready for sermons. But what if he leaves out prayer? What if he begins to accept a little sin into his heart? And so as time goes by, if he keeps sinning, this is all secret, it's all private, nobody knows. He 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 lets this sin go on. And then his prayer stops. But he's a minister. What's he do? What's his job? His job requires him to preach sermons. His job requires him to pray prayers. He's been doing it a long time. He knows how to do it. And so what does he do? He reads the Bible, but he doesn't pray. He reads the Bible and he prepares a sermon because he knows how to he's got a skill. He knows how to throw a stone like David, but he's not praying. And so this is why we find men, this is why we find not just ministers, but other men and women moving their marker down the Bible as they read, not seeking the Lord in prayer. We can do all of these things and we can go fall into sin, into disastrous sins. So we must remind ourselves always as we move through the Bible. We must remind ourselves as we search the Bible to learn what it says always to pray these words into our hearts. We need to, as a church, not be powerless because we know the Word but we never pray. We don't need to be the church that that walks around saying, I know what the Bible says but I never pray. We have to be those who open up Search the word and pray this word. You and I cannot open up the word of the Lord and know and walk by it unless we do both at the same time. Now, if we begin to seek the word of the Lord in prayer, it does not mean that we cease using all the gifts that God has given to us. In other words, I'm not going to start going, okay, now, Lord, I'm going to pray my heart out and these sermons are going to prepare themselves. I'm not going to pray my heart out and expect the sermon to appear on Sunday morning that I just walk up there and preach. No, I have to work as hard as I can ever have. And you have to work as hard as you ever have. And you have to prepare and plan and, and seek to obey God as much as you ever have. Work as if it all depends on you and pray as if it all depends on who? God. I like to say that when it comes to the Lord's Supper. What do you do when you come to the Lord's Supper? You prepare you're thinking about, do you have any new obedience? Do you have any faith? Do you have any repentance? You say, yes, I do. i prepare prepared as best I can. And then what do you do? You depend on God's mercy and grace in Christ alone. And then you eat and drink the Lord's Supper. This is what we do. We don't say, I'm going to just pray and never exercise my gifts. We still want to have a, a church website. We still want... We still want somebody sitting over there and playing the keys. We don't expect them to play themselves. We still want to teach after having studied. We do both of them. We want to be led by God from point A to point B as a church as we seek the Word of God in prayer. Well, second, we move to live by the Word of the Lord by submitting to it. And let me say this at the end, by submitting to it as we lead others. But we first have to submit to it ourselves before we lead others to submit to it with us. So David is submitting to the word of the Lord even as he leads these men. David comes out of seeking the word of the Lord in prayer. And he says to God, he says, God says to him, go attack the Philistines and save Keala. And we remember now, last time we remember that after he tells the men, what was the, what did the men say? Oh, no, no, this is not a good idea for us to go to Keala because if we go to Keala, remember, it's a a city with bars and walls. If we go in there, we'll be like birds in a what? In a cage. And Saul will know right where we are. He's going to come after us and kill us. And by the way, we'll stir up these Philistines like hornets and they'll be after us too. It's not a good idea, David. Let's don't do that. What does David do? Well, David displays to us what good leadership looks like. David doesn't get angry, David doesn't get mad. I used to to tell the guys in different meetings, I'd say, let's not be twisting off now. He didn't twist off. He didn't get all mad and angry. What does he do? He goes back to the Lord in prayer, says verse 4. It says, then David inquired of the Lord once more, the NIV says again, once more and again. And he listens to these men and their fears. And he goes in front of everybody and he gets a clear word from God after praying again. God says, arise, go to Keala. And then God gives him a promise. I will give the Philistines into your hands. And so David teaches us what to do with men when they disagree with us. He teaches us to, to pray again and to walk uh, very patiently with each other is what he teaches. And it's really great when men and women are gifted, isn't it? I mean, here's a gifted man. David is a gifted man. We just said he was. He has a great personality, I'm sure. We've, met, we've all met bubbly personalities and people who sling stones well and people who wield swords really well and people who have all these words that they can say really well and articulately. But Christian leaders aren't to lead by their gifts or skills. They're to lead as they submit to the Word of the Lord and they teach us to do the same. I want you to consider leadership in a Christian home. How is a dad to establish his leadership or his rule uh, in the home? The only way for dad to lead in his home is for dad to seek the word of the Lord and submit to it himself. And then he can lead. He leads his wife. He leads his wife. He proves to his wife that he seeks the word. And he submits to the Word, and then he can lead his wife according to the Word. How will he lead her? He will lead her in love. And he will lead her, and he will give himself up for her, just as Christ has given himself up for the church. He will be willing to die for her. The dad must prove that he seeks the Word of the Lord and submits to the Word to his children by nourishing them regularly with Scripture and talking about them with, uh, with them about Jesus and discipling them. Mom proves that she seeks the Word and submits to the Word by submitting to her husband. She does this as unto the Lord. Now, if the husband asks a wife to do something that's not according to the Word of the Lord, then she does not have to do that. You prove that you're seeking the Word of the Lord and submitting to the Word to your children by showing them that you love the Word of God yourself. And children, you prove your submission to the Word of the Lord by honoring and obeying your parents. And so I have a few young people here today, and I'm going to go ahead and appeal to them. They're right here. They're mine. (laughs) One of the things that we think about when we think about uh, being a young person, this is something I learned. If you have an assignment to do, if you have a certain amount of homework to do, if you have a certain list of chores to do, and you don't do them, it gets worse. Not only do you have a list of things to do, but now you have parents who are unhappy with the fact that you didn't do them. And there may be some privileges taken away. There may be some dis- disciplines that come along with the chore. So the, the difficulty comes along with what the list you already have to do. It gets worse. Thomas Watson put it like this. When we struggle with God and will not submit to His will, we get nothing but more blows. Instead of having the cords of afflictions loosened, we make God tie them tighter to us. So it just doesn't pay not to go ahead and obey our parents. Well, let's think about Christian leadership. Leaders in the church must submit to the Word of God. And out of that submission, they lead others to do the same. And David teaches us what leaders in the church are to look like. He submits to the Word and He leads men to submit to the Word. And we find this. I I cut out a whole bunch. I I had way too many references here. But let me give you two. I'll just give you one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. The Old Testament reference is Ezra 7.10. This is one of my favorite verses in all the world. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God and to practice it, and to teach His statutes and ordinances in Israel. There's four parts right there. Ezra the scribe first prepared his heart. He prepared his heart. He devoted his heart. He determined in his heart. That's his preparation. What is he preparing to do? Well, he's he's preparing to study the law of the Lord. That's his purpose. He's preparing, and his purpose is to study and to know God's mind, to know what God requires of him. And then... Not just to know it, not just to talk about it, but to, third, to practice it. Once it's studied, once he knows it, we talked about this in our men's group the other day. So many times people can talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And so he's saying, before I'm ever going to get out here and teach or preach, to use a P, um, he says, I'm going to practice it first in my own life. I want to make sure that I'm working on these things in my life. So he's purposing in his heart to know it. He's preparing his heart, purposed to study it. He's practicing in it in his life and he's preaching it then to all of Israel. That is what Christian leadership looks like. And then we see in the New Testament in Acts 20, 28, uh, the Apostle Paul exhorts the elders of Ephesus and he says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Who's first? Who's who's to be on guard for who first? Be on guard, be on watch for yourselves, and then for all the flock, flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. First, watch over yourself, then go out and watch over the flock. Do y'all know when you go? I got on the airplane the other day. On the way to California and on the way back, and y'all know there's that little lingo that they go through. They come out there and they have that mask, and they and they say the first thing you do when the mask comes down, the, the you know the, the uh, cabins it's depressurized loses pressure, the mask falls down, and they say this. They say first take the mask and put it on yourself and tighten it up against your face, and then help your neighbor. First, take care of your own mask. So that you're alive to help the person who's struggling, your daughter, your son, to get their own mask on. This is what we're hearing. First, walk with God. First, uh, take care of yourself. Then take care of those around you. This is what a leadership looks like. Well, finally, let's look at number three. Being saved by the word of the Lord. I think this is one of the ways sometimes we don't think about this. Um... James 1.18 comes to mind. It, it talks about, Let the Word of God be implanted, which is able to save your souls. Well, it saves your soul. Yes, it saves your soul from sin, Satan, and death. But it also saves you from sin even now. And so immediately after David and his men were victorious in Keala, Saul found out that David was there and he turns on the jets. He gets in his jet airplane and he's on his way. Saul believed that David's in his hands and so... David finds out that Saul's coming the first thing he does is what he prays Lord is Saul coming he is. Lord will the Kielites surrender me over to Saul they will out of there he moves he's out of there and so after prayer and seeking the Lord uh, in his seeking the Lord according to his word he is saved by it. he's saved by the word of the Lord. Now moving to chapter 24, the part we read here, Saul is returning to hunt David with 3,000 men. And David is hiding in a cave. And Saul doesn't know he's inside there, deep inside there. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in any of these caves? Have you ever been in some of these caves? Evan and I went to a cave in Silver Dollar City. And I guarantee you that 500 people could get back in that one spot. Maybe more. They were taking pictures and charging everybody 20 bucks. And I'm sure they, who knows how much they charge now. (laughs) So Saul, Saul comes into this cave where David and all his men are already there. He came in, it says, to relieve himself. Some think that means that he was going to take a restroom break. Some think that he's going to take his robe off and take a nap. How's the Lord, where are the Lord going to save David now? It's very strange. Verse 4, it says that David's men began to sing the song. Do you all know that song? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And so they're singing this song. (laughs) This is the day, David, that the Lord has made. You need to rejoice, David. We're rejoicing because the Lord has given to you your enemy into your hands to deal with him as you wish. And so with all the adrenaline and all the encouragement of David's men, He creeps over to Saul and he cuts off the edge of his garment. And after he did that, it says that his conscience smote him for just cutting off the garment, a piece of the garment. What's happening? Well, David's conscience has been trained by the word of the Lord. David has been jarred back to his senses. David doesn't need Abiathar the priest. David doesn't need the prophet Gad to tell him not to touch the king. He knows not to touch the king. And so his conscience is smitten. He knows not to touch the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed may deserve to die. (laughs) This Lord's anointed was not for him to kill. He never had a word from God that it was for him to touch this man who had been anointed by the Lord. And so David understood that he had violated the fifth commandment. He hadn't killed him, but he had touched his garment. David understood Romans 13, 1, where it says, "...the governing authorities exist, having been instituted by God." And so in verses 6 and 7 we see that... Strange statement where it says that David, uh, I've turned my Bible to the wrong page here, but it says that David persuaded his men not to kill Saul. And those words, persuaded, those are really soft words compared to what's going on here. The word persuaded there, it speaks of he's tearing the men apart with his words. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I didn't watch much of this. But every now and then, when I was fourth and fifth grade, I would watch hockey. Y'all know what a check is in hockey? (laughs) When they check each other, you know? Well, this is what he's doing. He's checking them. He's stopping them, restraining them with his words. This is the Lord's anointed. I cannot and you cannot touch him without touching God himself. Oh, if we would think about that when we think about authority. I cannot raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. It's up to the Lord to take care of this man. So God's word stopped him, the word that was in his heart. I want you to consider being saved by the word of the Lord. We seek the word, we submit to the word, and it comes to us with great power. It jars us back to our senses. The world is egging us on. People at work are egging us on. Friends are egging us on. And then the word comes like a hammer to our conscience. It says we must exercise self-control. We must come back to our senses. Am I, are you being saved by the word from sins today? Today, every one of us was tempted to stay home. Fourth commandment came to your mind and says, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy." Today, every one of us are dealing with, with the celebrated sins of our day. Let me just give you some of the things that are being celebrated today. Sexual promiscuity, love self, love money, disobedience to parents. Here's one, ungratefulness. It's not how much many things can I be grateful to God for, it's how many things can I criticize. That's today, isn't it? I'm going to criticize everything that moves. And yet, we need to learn to be grateful. This is one of the sins that's being celebrated today. Will the Lord save you from these sins? Only if you seek Him in His Word. Only if you submit to His Word. How, David, I mean the, the psalmist ask, how can a young man keep his way pure? And he says this, by keeping it according to your Word. We're all tempted, like all men, to do these things. And all these temptations are going to be intensified because everybody's indulging in them. But oh, how we should praise God that our conscience is being torn apart by the Word, keeping us from things. Say this, it says to Titus, say no to ungodliness. That's what your conscience is saying. Say no to worldly passions. Put on self-control. There's no shortcuts in our sanctification. It's going to be a long, arduous work, time-consuming, but it is a God-glorifying work. Think about it like this. We're coming close to the end here. David knew that one day he would be the king. All he had to do to step into the, the, the throne at this time was to take the king's life. But he would have taken it by his own hand, and he would not have waited for God to give what, what he promised to give to him. And so he's going to wait on God to give to him what he promised. Now, I met with this couple as we got ready for them to get married. And I told them, you know, you've done the hard work of getting to know each other mentally and spiritually and talking to each other and having the coffee together. And now you get the promise that God gives to you. When you get married, you get to have the physical part of the relationship. It all happens after we make vows. But you and I, we can go out and we can fail in this by taking these things that God promises to give us when we make vows. And so most of us are not going to be celibate. Most of us are going to get married. And so let us wait on God to give this pleasure to us after we make the vows. The right time for this is marriage. Well, finally, let me let me give you three thoughts. Are you being saved by the word of the Lord? David gives us three important thoughts. He teaches us not to put our hopes in men. David couldn't trust in the men of Keilah. What would they do? They would surrender him over to Saul. David could not trust in Jonathan because Jonathan would encourage him and Jonathan would have to leave. David could not trust his own men because his own men would have him put Saul to death. So David says, "Trust, do not trust in men. Second, David teaches us that you and I have an enemy. Our enemy is not Saul, our enemy is Satan. And he uses the power of sin to come after us. He's a roaring lion and he would use the power of sin to... Bring the Word of God to our minds so that we would be accused and see our sin and only our sin and we would be without hope. That's what he does. He keeps both of our eyes on our sin so that we see no hope in this world at all. David would tell us not to trust in men. David would tell us that we have an enemy. Third, David would tell us our only hope is in the Word of the Lord. If you seek the Word of the Lord, who do you find in the the Word of the Lord? Well, you find the Word who is the Lord, right? You find the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. You find the Word of God who is Jesus Christ, who came to save us from sin and Satan and from death. And if you and I submit to this Word incarnate, God's final Word, we will be saved from the penalty of our sin. We'll be saved. As this morning, I I really wanted to say more about it. But we will be saved from the power of sin. And ultimately, we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. Let's pray. Amen. Our Father, we thank You for this Word. We find, Lord, there's so wonder, many wonderful things. And Lord, we pray that You would help us to live by Your Word. Help us to be those who who seek Your Word in prayer. That we search Your Word and open our mouths as we search. And pray these words into our heart. Help us to be those who submit to Your Word and Lord, if we have the opportunity to be a parent, to be a preacher, to be a teacher, to be a Bible study leader, that we would teach people to do what we're doing ourselves, that we would lead as we are being led. And Father, we pray that You would continue to use Your Word to save us from sin. Uh, Lord, not not just to save us from our sins, from the penalty of sin, but Lord, You would use Your Word to keep us away from sins, jar us back to our senses, keep us from doing things that we should not do, We'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. We pray, Lord, as we end our service tonight, that you will take us home safely and give us rest and help us to begin our work week for you and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.